Breaking of bread is establishing of a new covenant. Did you hear that? Breaking of bread is establishing of a new covenant. In this new covenant, it's about remission of sin. Remission is an accounting word. How many accountants are here? Probably you know what remit. Oh, it's, it's a very common word. Probably you, you bought something online. And so what happens when you receive the product, there is a money from your account which is remitted into another person's account, the company's account. So that's what it means. From one account, it's going to another account. In the same way, breaking of bread is an understanding that there was a transaction that happened between us and Jesus. There was a transaction that happened between us and Jesus. There was an exchange that took place between you and Jesus. There was an exchange that took place between us and Jesus. What was the transaction? Jesus said, I'm going to make a deal with you. I will take all your sin, all your emotional pain, all your curses, all your sickness and remit them into my account and I will give you my righteousness, my forgiveness, my healing and my freedom from my account. How many of you are like that? Isn't that a good business deal? Amen? That's what Jesus did. I will repeat that. Jesus said, I'm going to make a deal with you. I will take all your sin, your emotional pain, your curses, your sickness and remit them into my account. And I will give you my righteousness, my forgiveness, my healing and my freedom from my account. That is remission of sin. So there was a remitting. Jesus took our sickness, our pain upon himself. And he made his healing, his wholeness and his forgiveness. That's what the new covenant is all about. The new covenant means the new testament. Another word for covenant is testament. Another word for testament is will. W-I-L-L, will. And so, what is that new covenant made up of? Just look at the cross. You are saved. You are redeemed. You are restored. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are loved. You are healed. You are reconciled. You are alive forevermore. You are set free. You are delivered. You are washed clean. That is the new covenant. That is the new covenant. The definition of the word covenant is, a covenant is a binding, unbreakable obligation between two parties based on unconditional love, sealed with blood, sacred oath that creates a relationship in which each party is bound by specific undertaking on each other's behalf. It is a relationship that can only be broken by death. So, for a covenant to be established, you need two parties. How many parties you need? Two parties. And for this new covenant to be established, who were those two parties? Who were the two parties? Jesus and you? Or Jesus and God? God made so many covenants in the Old Testament with man. And since man is fallible, man broke every one of this covenant. And therefore, Jesus stepped into our world. He represented humanity for you and me. 
And so the two parties are Jesus and God. Can you say that? Jesus and God. This is how it works. How many of you love cricket? Yes, you watch a cricket match. India is playing against Pakistan. Okay. And you watch this match. I'm sure some of us may not know to play cricket or we've not held the bat in our hand. But when India wins, what do we say? What do we say? We won. When India loses, we lost and then we throw stones in Doni's house. Right? So, whatever Jesus did, his victory became our victory. Jesus became the representative for humanity. And he represented us before God. So there was this covenant that was made. So in order for this covenant to become reality, God sent his son Jesus. And Jesus stepped into our world and represented the humanity. Jesus is eternal. Amen. God is eternal. And therefore, the covenant that they have made on our behalf is eternal, everlasting covenant. Amen. Amen. So there is an agreement Jesus and God got into and the agreement that they made affects us all. The agreement the Father and Jesus made affects us all. It's like uh, the government that makes different decisions. One of the decisions was GST. Doesn't it affect you? Your food bills have gone up. Taxes have gone up. It affects us, right? And probably the demonetization affects us all. Similarly, whatever choice Jesus and the Father, the agreement that they made affects us all of us. Isn't that a good choice that Jesus made? Amen, church? Amen. And anyone, anyone coming in relationship with Jesus, anyone becoming a part of this kingdom, receive the benefits of that agreement. All the benefits of the covenant is right there. If you have your Bibles, can you hold it up? This is the new covenant God made with Jesus. All the benefits, all the blessings are here in this covenant. It is relational. If you want to be, enjoy, if you want to enjoy the blessings of this covenant, you need to invite Jesus into your heart. If you are here sitting and you've not still made that commitment, you can make that commitment this morning. Amen? Hebrews 9.15 says, And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant. The new covenant that we are talking about. By means of death, because the covenant can needs to be sealed with blood. And therefore Jesus had to die. For the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So if you read in Hebrews, the whole chapter, it says the new covenant as the last will. Can everyone say the last will? The last will or the testament. Because the first covenant that was made was broken. So Jesus established a new one. what is a will? What is a will? Probably when I go old, I have some possessions to give away to my children. What do I do? I sign up a will. 
I write a will. This much belongs to my first daughter. This much is to my second daughter. I write a will. That is a will. My children can enjoy the benefit of that will only after I die. Nothing can be done to the will after I am gone. While I am alive, something could be done. Changes can happen in that. But once I am have left this world, nothing can be done to that will. It's my good intention for my family members. Similarly, the word of God is God's will for you. Can you turn to your neighbor and say, the word of God is God's will for you. This is an agreement between Jesus and God and you are the beneficiary. Who is the beneficiary? You are the benefactor. You are the recipient. You are the beneficiary of that new covenant. The will God has given you. Do you know what is written in that will? It's all up there. On the cross. I just read it for you. Every blessing. Every benefit for which Jesus died. Is yours. Even as you start believing in it. Even as you start believing in it. And in order for this will to come to being. In order for this will to be established. There were three important things. That were supposed to happen. Okay. The first thing. The person has to die. If he has to establish the will. Like I said. I had to die for my children to receive it. Similarly, for us to enjoy the benefits in this will, who had to die? Jesus had to die. Jesus had to die. You cannot change this. You cannot tamper with it. Because what is written is written. You can debate with the word of God. You can question the word of God. But the word of God still remains the same yesterday, today and forever and ever. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away but my word will never pass away. This is your will. This is the covenant Jesus made on our behalf. Whether you believe it or not. It's written. So the better is for us to believe and receive the blessings that's in the covenant. So Jesus became the initiator of the New covenant. Can you say that? Jesus became the. By dying on the cross. He established the covenant for us. The second thing. Is that Jesus. Was raised from the dead. And he became the executor. Of this will. This covenant. Since man is fallible. Jesus was not willing to let go. Of this testament in the hands of man. So what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? I'm going to rise up and I'm going to make sure that my children receive the blessings that's in this testament. Amen? Amen. Jesus himself rose again on the third day so that you can enjoy the blessings that are there in this agreement, in this covenant. And so Jesus became the executor. What is the first one? He became the initiator. Second, he became the executor. Third is, he became the mediator. What's the meaning of the word mediator? Interceder or intermediary. He stood between us and God so that we receive the blessing. For instance, you have a will. And if your will is contested, you need an advocate. You need a lawyer to stand on your behalf so that you get every blessing that's there in the will. 
Who stood in your place for that? Jesus stood in your place. He is your mediator. He is your advocate. Advocate. Hebrews 7.24 says, But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is interceding for you and me. Jesus is interceding for you and me. What is he interceding for? What is he interceding for? He is interceding that every single one of us will receive our dues. We will receive the inheritance for which he left behind. He is there interceding for you so that you receive every blessing. The full inheritance, you become a recipient. So Jesus is right there interceding for you. Hebrews 7.26 says, Such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. So Jesus became the initiator of the covenant. He became the executor of the covenant. He became the mediator of the covenant. Amen. Amen. You want to just lift your voices up and just thank the Lord. Let this truth sink in. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. Thank you that you chose us, Lord. And you made it possible for us to receive the blessings that are there in the covenant, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 to 17 says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians church. When Jesus introduced the breaking of bread, the disciples received it. And the early church understood the importance of breaking of bread. You read that, right? In the book of Acts, they broke bread almost every day because they understood the blessings that were there in the covenant and you saw the blessings flow through their ministry. But sometimes when you do something over and over, again and again, what happens? You lose the purpose. You lose the essence of it. And so Apostle Paul had to write and correct their attitude and motive. So, what does the cup represent? Let's go to the verse again. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. What does the cup represent? It is a cup of... Can you say that? It's a cup of... It is a cup of thanksgiving. It is not a cup of supplication. You're not holding the cup in your hand and saying, Lord, I'm such a wretched sinner, Lord. Lord, I am unworthy, Lord. No, you're making that a cup of supplication. Sometimes we pile all our sins over the weeks and when it comes to breaking of bread, we come before God. And nothing changes. Before the breaking of bread, you're still, you feel unworthy. After the breaking of bread, you still feel unworthy. Nothing changes. But this morning, I want you all to talk to the Lord. 
Even as you hold the cup, you're saying, Lord, thank you for your sacrifice, Lord. Thank you for your precious blood that sealed the covenant, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I can receive every blessing, every benefit that's part of the covenant, Lord. So even as you hold the cup in your hand, let faith rise in your heart. Probably you came here as a sinner, but today you can go as a righteous person. God's cleansing you. God is redeeming you. He's sanctifying you. That's faith in your heart. So you make it a cup of thanksgiving. What is thanksgiving? True faith is about believing and thanking God even before we receive anything from Him. When someone gave me something and I say thank you, that's actually gratitude. But when you by faith thank the Lord for things that you've not yet seen, not yet received, what is that? That is faith. That is actually giving thanks to God. T.L. Osborne says this, when the promises of God are believed and acted upon. So there's a sense of you believing in the Lord and you need to put your belief to action. You believe and you act upon it. They become the power of God. Amen? When the Promises of God are believed and acted upon. They become the power of God. So this morning, even as we break bread, I want you all to participate. Not spectate. What is the difference? Just assume we are all hungry now. And after you go out of the service, Pastor Victor is giving us a buffet lunch. Now I can see smiling faces. And there is every kind of Indian dish, Chinese, continental, he loves steak. It's all there. Okay? But you need to pay clear attention to the instruction. He says, you can only go, just smell the food. Okay? Say bye to all of you. Each other, greet each other and go home. What would you do? We'll quickly go home and write his name on the forgiveness list. That is spectating. What is participating? You just dive into it. You enjoy. You fill yourself with it. You're satisfied. You know what that food is actually. That is participating. So God is not calling you to just sit there and spectate. Jesus wants you to participate. Not just looking at the menu, but diving in and enjoying what's there on the menu. So God's calling each one of you to come and participate in this wonderful meal that's God prepared for you and me.